Welcome to Artists of New England. This is a podcast created to inspire you on your journey of artistic expression. Whether you are a career artist, a teacher, an emerging artist, or hobbyist, you can learn and gain support from your peers. We will explore the symbiotic relationship between these groups, lending insight and empathy towards each other. We will discover the where, when, why, and how of the creative process of artists living and working in New England, with occasional bonus interviews with gallery owners, collectors of fine art, and art historians. Perhaps today's show will bring you the aha moment you've been waiting for. Welcome to Artists of New England with your host, Laura Castanari-King, and I am so thrilled today to be starting a new segment of the show with Todd Benita, and it is called The Heart of Seeing. The Heart of Seeing. The That's right. The Heart of Seeing. I like to stress the Boston accent. So welcome, accent. Todd. Hey, thank you for having me. I, um, I'm kind of excited to do it. And, yeah. you know, it's just going to be a short segment. I just want to... Um, I want this to be, or I envision this to be, I don't want to micromanage your podcast, but I, uh, the, the part I was excited about yeah. was sharing uh, sharing uh, nuggets of wisdom, things yeah. that I've learned from being taught by other painters. Uh, you know, I had this small little art school, yeah. Ogunquit Summer School of Art, and we hire several of the best painters in the country to come right. to Ogunquit in New England. But I have this unique opportunity to be in the front row and, and observe how they crack the codes to good painting. You know, so I thought that I would share that Uh, one of the best parts about these workshops is kibitzing with the other students. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me take a breath and and, um, share this quote by Michelangelo. I'm going to paraphrase as I always do because I butcher (laughs) quotes. But he said something like, um, when you decide to become an artist, you take this unwritten oath to be a student for the rest of your life. Uh, I love that. Right. uh, Because I, I, I feel like a student. I'm very comfortable in the student role. Um, my ego isn't such that I think I've figured it out and I've cracked yeah. the code. I, I am genuinely curious. I want to know how right. John Redman paints the way he does. At the same time, I'm also interested to know how Donald Journey paints mm-hmm. and how um, Tim Horn, you know, pick yeah. any number of your favorite painters. And they've all arrived at the same place, visual poetry, yeah. by different means. You know, they're all using different techniques in their way. And of course, everyone thinks they're doing it the best way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but we're gonna love your view, sifting it. Well, you your... know, I hope so. Yeah. You know, it, 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 and this is the part I love. And I'm sorry for not finishing the thought earlier. But one of the great parts about the workshops is kibitzing with the other students, yeah. and, and and you get together and you're like, hey, who have you studied with? Oh, no kidding, you studied with that guy. Well, give me some of your big takeaways. And essentially, by giving some of the big takeaways, like give me three or four or five nuggets of things you learn from John Redman or Tim Horn or Donald Journey or Tom Hughes, whoever it is, they're essentially summarizing, you know, yeah. an entire workshop into like, you know, five big takeaways. I love that, you know. Um, so I thought I would start with um, Donald Journey, A, because he's just a great painter, a great American painter. And he's, he's now become a friend. And, and really, I, I thought it would be a good place to start because he's a mentor of mine. Okay. And I, I just feel very comfortable. I know him um, more uh, on a personal level. I know his work more. And, and I just know him as an artist more intimately than I do all of the other artists that I have the good fortune to study with. Yeah. I've known Donald probably since 2011. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked with him as, um, as, his, as his monitor on his workshops. Oh. And I, I've... Um, I've oh, had, nice. yeah, no, it's been great. So I've really had a front row seat, really. Yeah, and, and, awesome. and so I got to see some things, man. I've seen wow. some things. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm going to try we to. We want the nuggets. <laughs> I'll give you some nuggets. Yeah. And um, 
you know, what, what's different about this sharing nuggets? <laughs> you know, you could certainly interview Donald and you'll get, you know, a direct interview from the artist's mouth. And that's great. This is completely different. This, right. is, this is from artist to artist. Hey, this is what I got. You know, this is this is stuff that, that Donald might even scratch his head and say, oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Out of all that teaching, those are the five things when you took listens, away? When he listens, you don't know what he'll say. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that that's that's the cool thing about art is um, you'll have 14 students in a workshop mm. and they're all hearing the same things and they're observing the same demonstrations and they have the same handouts, etc. But they'll take away different things from that particular workshop. And, you know, I'm, I'm speaking from my own personal limited experience here, but my view is that um, whatever your brain is ready for at the time yeah. of this particular workshop, you'll right. take away. For, for It might be values for you. Sure. The instructor may have said something interesting about values, and you're like, boom, I've got this eureka moment. You know? right. and, and, and for me, it could be something about design. Well, I've taken your beginner painting class two or three times now. Mm. Every time there's something new that's, that's wow, oh, right. It's Thank just what much. I was ready for. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Take another minute and tell I, everyone how wonderful I am. It is so Todd. Yes, <laughs> best teacher ever. <laughs> you know, why talk about Don? Let's actually talk about me. <laughs> Five nuggets that Listen, you learned most from of me. the people that I interview on the artists uh, of New England, they do talk about you. So, Well, that's sweet. Uh, let, let me first correct, because um, I know Donald is going to say, did you call me Don? <gasps> oh. I have to call him Donald. Oh. So I'm already in trouble for oh, that boy. one. So for moving forward. It's Donald Journey. <laughs> so I will, um, because this is not a, you're not interviewing Donald directly, I, yeah. will, I will spare you like an extensive bio, that kind of thing. And I, and I, but I, I'll try to bullet point it um, to some degree. Sure. But Donald Journey, uh, he was born in 1945, and he's had a long painting career. He's been painting and drawing for more than 30, maybe 40 years, something like that. Yeah. It's been a long time. Um, and he, in my view, and again, it's my subjective um, view, I think he's one of the great living American painters. Mm -hmm. And I think we're incredibly fortunate to have him on the East Coast where we have access to him. And he certainly teaches internationally and uh, in various parts of the country from time to time. But um, I personally feel fortunate to have yeah. had that time in, to, to, in his studio. We're still good friends and we still, um, we still work together as a uh, I'm still the monitor of, of one of his workshops coming up oh, next nice. year. Yeah, so we're still very good friends, and I've learned a tremendous from him, and it's been a rich experience. But Donald is, um, he's lived abroad, he's painted abroad, but he's very much an American painter in my view. He's, um, he is certainly influenced by all the greats. Um, that, you know, before this interview, I, um, I asked him to, to list some of his influences. Um, and the list is pretty extensive. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm just going to list a few. Okay, George Innes, John Constable, Kensett, William Nicholson, Monet, Whistler, Turner, Velasquez, Soroya, Van Dyke. And believe it or not, this is one of the takeaways, is the, is, is the fact that he's, he's a, a very learned man. When you go into his studio, mm -hmm. there are these uh, bookshelves and just piles of books. And he'll oftentimes point to the couch. <laughs> and yeah. that's his way of insisting wow. that you sit on the couch and he'll pile these books on your wow. lap. And oh. it's through that experience that I learned so much. Uh, oh. I was introduced to so many painters that I, I, I wasn't privy to, you know? Um, yeah. And he still does that. He always has like a new book coming in the mail and he gets as excited about it uh, as you would when you get like a, a gift or something or something you love dearly. Yeah. Like his curiosity and his, his interest in, in the knowledge of art and, and, um, is uh, it's like a little kid. It yeah. really is. And, and it's not to one. share, obviously. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, um, he's very much, he, he's deeply passionate. He's, mm -hmm. um, 
he's certainly he's a poet he uh, has a tremendous work ethic um he's well studied he's curious playful all those wonderful things um and so th these these are not these are takeaways that are not lost on me you know yeah. um you know if you're listening to this podcast you you clearly have some interest in in cracking the codes to good painting yeah. um and and I think if we, if we really are students, it's important for us to pay attention to the habits of some of the artists we regard as the greatest painters of our time. Um, so, uh, the five things. Uh, five five big takeaways with Donald Get your Jeremy. pen ready. Get your pen ready. This was tough. I'll list them first, and then we'll talk about them a little bit. Um, so, uh, the five big takeaways, if, if you were to nudge me and say, hey, what are the five big things from Donald? They would be... Uh, <laughs> Um, his, his thoughts and ideas and practices on design, values, drawing. And, and, and for many and for me, it's when, when I first realized that he makes them up. And before would be making them up. Donald Journey actually makes up his paintings. What do you mean? He's, he's, uh, well, you know, he, he's painted outdoors and drawn outdoors for a lifetime. Okay. And that has certainly informed um, his vast knowledge of what nature looks like in different moods, different times of day, mm -hmm. different seasons, etc., but he uses that knowledge uh, in his memory bank and his vast knowledge of the academic prerequisites of how to make pictures mm -hmm. to make them up. It's coming out of his own head. It's, oh. it's coming out of the, the, the visual not... poet that lives inside of his brain. He's not wow. looking at anything. It's no fascinating. Reference. Yeah, His brain is his reference. It's amazing. Wow. Sometimes he paints from, from yeah. life. Like he'll conduct these plein air painting workshops and, and, um, and sometimes we'll go out painting and he'll, 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 he'll paint outdoors, I think, just to humor me. <laughs> oh, wow. I'll I, I tell you a funny story. There was, we were, um, it was, a, I was actually doing a workshop. I, I was teaching the workshop a number of years ago, and he came just to sort of, just for sport, just to okay. come. And, um, and he set up his easel, and this was a, a sunny summer afternoon yeah. and this, uh, on a farm. Okay. And he sets up his easel, and he does a nocturnal painting of the ocean. <laughs> so oh my he changed gosh. the time of day and oh, he changed no. the complete place. And, uh, and I think he was showing off a little bit, but little. he, um, or he was bored or he was like, you know, I just feel like painting the ocean right now, a nocturnal ocean. Anyway, wow. it was fascinating. But that's, that's does, who he does is. Does he start, like, does he throw paint around and then kind of see what's coming? Or does well, he... you're going to have to wait. I'm just oh, listing okay, the top five. Okay. What is this? All right, go. <laughs> Who's running the show here, lady? <laughs> the, the fifth one is... Um, is, and I love this. I'll save this one. It, it, it's, 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 it's his poetry. You know, I, I asked him, what's the single most important thing in art? You know, yeah. I thought that was a kind of a profound question because, yeah. and I've heard the answers from different artists over time. And uh, so I'll share that one as number five. And I, I found it to be uh, incredibly Not interesting. Until we get oh, it's so great. No, I'll share it all <laughs> with you. So, um, so design number one. Now, um, design, I remember in art school learning about what they called the Holy Trinity. Mm -hmm. The three most important elements to the success or failure of a painting are what we call the Holy Trinity, you know, and it was said with conviction and chin up and yeah. a pounding fist. And the Holy Trinity, uh, or as I learned in art school, was um, drawing, design, and values. The three most important things mm -hmm. that contribute to your painting stinking or being successful. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> and um, so Donald regards design I'm just going to read you what he wrote rather than butcher okay. his words because I love this. You know, design for me are the twin pillars of great art. Design is the um, in composition, and values are the twin pillars. Okay, so just just to um, uh, just to clarify, design and composition are 
they're really one, one and the yeah. same. They're interchangeable. So what he's saying is um, design and values are the twin pillars of art. The composition marshals all the parts of the painting into a hierarchy, one that puts all the elements into the correct relationships uh, with the central most important idea. And that most important idea is, is the poetry, mm. you know, um, that stuff we were talking about earlier, um, about, um, you know, the, the, the emotive poetic thing that you're chasing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say for Donald, my observation as a student, um, after his visual poetry, uh, I, I would say um, one of the most profound things about Donald's work is the work itself, what he's saying as a painter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that in the end because that is at the heart of what okay. um, he regards as the single most important thing. And yeah. I'm giving you a little teaser. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd say after the poetry, uh, I think um, design to me is one of the big takeaways. And I remember early on uh, looking at his work and, and, and trying to ask myself, why am I responding to this so much? Why? Mm. What, what is so great about this? I know I'm, uh, I love it, but why do I love it? And um, his, his design is, um, it's, it's rock solid. And I, after knowing him and after being introduced to some of the painters that he loves, um, you know, you begin to crack the codes and you get a little closer to uh, his design philosophies, you know? Um, and does he teach those to? Uh, he does. You know, he, now he, now I, I will say this, that I think um, Donald is, is I, I think he's best suited for, not the very beginners who, who okay. don't even know how to set up the easels, okay. but for people who understand some sure. of the principles, um, he, he's a he's a very deep deep thinker, and he's he's put his time in already. He's yeah. put his thirty or forty years in in the field, yeah. and so he doesn't teach design from a one hundred and one perspective. Okay. This is this is a man who's who's yeah. uh, who's already read the book on design yeah. and already put his stick time in and already spent. Yeah. 30, 40 years in the field. And this is a guy who's who's literally making them up out of his head. Wow. He um he starts with um with Marx. I remember the first time in the studio, uh, my first studio visit with him, he told me he made them up. And I, so I, I pulled up a chair like just a few feet away. He said, No, sir, show me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It really was. It was funny, you know? And um, and he had a, an enormous blank canvas. Wow. And he 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 did everything that was the opposite of what I learned in art school. You know, you start with the biggest brush and you start with the biggest shapes. You know, you start with the broom and finish with a needle, they yeah. would tell us. And that's, that's indicative of starting with um, the big ideas, the big shapes and progressing to the medium and then smaller shapes. Yeah. Well, he breaks out and I, I'm telling you, it was an enormous canvas. It looked like a, uh, looked like a bed, you know, oh <laughs> it looked gosh. like a mattress. Um, and then he, he pulls out this teeny little round no. brush. Yeah, a teeny little round. <laughs> Uh, a Raphael round, uh, you know, hog hair, bristle brush. And I, and I thought he was joking, you know, and he just starts making marks on the thing. There was no reference, nothing. He just wow. starts making little marks, like uh, little calligraphic marks. And then he would back up and he's looking at me, you know, to see my reaction. Yeah, see. And I, I, did, I, I thought he was joking because yeah. he has a really good sense of humor. And yeah. He's always being silly. But he, um, this is how he does it. Wow. So if I could share anything about his design, it is this, he starts with this weird kinetic mark making technique, you okay. know, he starts making marks, but this is the interesting thing. One or two marks will inform the next mark. Yeah. And I think this is grounded uh, in design principles where 
paintings derive their interest from juxtaposing elements. So in other words, a painting becomes interesting when you have something big next to something small, mm. something dark next to something light, perhaps something vertical next to something horizontal or diagonal, right? So it's these juxtaposing things. Mm. So from, from my view, he's making these marks and one mark will inform the next. Okay. So he's, he is working with, uh, you know, academic principles in yeah. mind, but yeah. it's from a very original and unique way. I've never seen it done like wow. this before. You know, I'm not, I don't know if he's the first guy to do this. Wow. I know, I know there's other art of the painters who certainly have made paintings up, but, um, but I've never seen anything like it to date. And it still blows my mind, particularly. How far you, does he go on the canvas? With that. He completes the entire painting from beginning to end wow. by with making it up. Little, Is that what you're asking? No, no, or? with the little brush. How far does he? Oh my gosh. Okay, so around. you know he'll interchange with uh, with other brushes throughout the painting, okay. but for yeah, the most yeah. part, he's he's almost like scribbling in. Like he'll he'll mass in wow. color with it with that uh, with that small brush as well. Wow. He also uses very inexpensive chip brushes. Like yeah. They're like ninety nine cents you get at the hardware store for painting houses where the hairs fall out every two yeah. minutes. <laughs> he uses those as well to uh, to sometimes mass in. Um, softer shapes clouds okay. or whatever but but it, it really is it's pretty fascinating yeah. but um uh, yeah yeah so it's uh, i would say his design is very organic and intuitive you know and it comes from just mm. years of that stick time you know um i think um, looking at his design like if you, if you look at a completed painting mm -hmm. um he's very influenced by john kensett who was a um uh late um Hudson River painter, you know, the second generation of Hudson River painters. Uh, um, Kensett was a tonalist. Uh, he sort of um, sneaks into the luminous period as well. He sort of transcends a few a few periods. I don't know if you can actually pinpoint Kensett, but um, uh, Kensett has a, um, he was a late Hudson River painter, certainly influenced by Thomas Cole, who was from the first generation of Hudson River painters. But Cole's paintings were um, more lively and dramatic, mm -hmm. uh, and Kensett's were more controlled and quiet. And when I look at Kensett's work and I see Donald's work, I see parallels there. Like Donald's is, is much more controlled. It's much more quiet. Mm -hmm. um, the palette is controlled. The shapes are sort of devoid of extraneous geometry. It's very economical that way. Mm -hmm. um, he's probably hearing this saying, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> that is not my intent. This is the student's this perspective. This is going to be really right? nice to hear it's how the these perspective. take this. Um, so one clever thing uh, that he, he does with students, and, and, and I've watched him paint, and this is, this is a cool takeaway, and this is as it relates to design. He has something called the Johansson House. <laughs> I love no, this. And so students who have... Um, it's an evil snicker. It is an evil snicker. I'm <laughs> laughing because I know that any student of Donald's who, who's hearing this, they know exactly what the Johansson's okay. House okay. is. And this is something I learned early on. So Donald paints very large, by the way, massive yeah. canvases. As I said, some of them look like mattresses, you know, wow. 30 by 60s, just these enormous beastly canvases. And, um, and he, he covers them with, with like large, massive shapes, you know, um, but he complements the large shapes with smaller shapes, right? So this is design principles again. He's complementing something big with something small. And the small thing, he... he um, he'll finish with these small little notes. And the Johansson house, he'll, he'll ask students... Where should I put the Johansson's house? And what he's referring to is there could be a, um, a, a meadow, for example. And beyond the meadow in the middle ground, we have a body of water. And beyond the body of water, sort of going towards the background of the painting, you have a distant shoreline. And this house is on the shoreline. And those houses 
Arthur Johansson's house. And where do they live? And I'll take a little white paint or a lighter value uh-huh. on a darker value, for example, and I'll put a little dot, boop. And that little dot, that little boop, complements the bigger shapes in such a way, like as soon as he puts it down, wow. you're like, wow, you know, you can feel- The resolution. Yeah, you feel the yeah. resolution exactly okay. right. You feel what good tension and careful design does. Wow. You feel the balance so of large and small. So he students where should I put it? And, yeah, he's, and he's doing it. He as probably as, knows where he's going to put it. He knows where he puts it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and look, he's certainly open to failure and moving the Johansson okay, house. He, yeah. I'll come in his studio a week later and see that the Johansson uh. house has moved up the hill and around the corner. <laughs> um, and um, and so I thought that was a great design takeaway, yeah. you know, and, and, and without talking uh, and are, are articulating this idea of something big next to something small. He's visually uh, expressing this through um, yeah. through his painting, and it's um, it's a wonderful takeaway. Wow! Yeah. So yeah. if you ever see a Donald Journey That's, student, I will remind them of the Johansson yeah. House. Where, well, now where, I'm going to go. Where will the Johansson House go? Paintings again with fresh eyes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The second big takeaway for Donald um, are values, mm-hmm. um, and I, I love this. And it, it, it's the second one on my list, but I think Donald re- will regard this as his. Well, let me use his words because here's what Donald said about values. Values are what I care about the most. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's uncommon uh, when you when you find out, when you get to the heart of what all the great painters are chasing. They're essentially yeah. chasing light. Values is an extension of light, isn't it? Values are what I care about the most. They inform all my choices when I'm painting and help describe my thoughts and feelings about the world I'm depicting. As someone famously said, values do all the work and color gets all the credit. No one can seem to know who to attribute that to. Yeah. But, but that's uh, that's something I learned in art school, too, when I, when I heard Donald say it. Wow. I mean, um, j- just a, a side story. Um, there is uh, one of the great New England painters, Don Stone, who passed a few years ago. Um, he had a studio on Monhegan Island, and we would conduct our annual Monhegan Island workshop up there. And it would most always include a visit to Don Stone's studio. And Don is like a classic Massachusetts, New England character who always had like funny anecdotes and he would talk about past painters who he had, uh, who he had met. Uh-huh. And in one story he shared, he talked about um, meeting Aldro Hibbard. So Donald, uh, oh my. yeah, so Don Stone must have been a very young man yeah. when he met Aldro Hibbard. Um, Aldro Hibbard was uh, one of the great Cape Ann painters yeah. um, mid-century. And... Hibbard asked a young Don Stone, what's the most important thing about painting? Oh, I'm using that grizzled voice. I yeah, know I love it. You could have sounded like Michael uh, You're right. Jackson. <laughs> no, go with the other one. <laughs> <laughs> what's the most important thing about painting? And Don Stone uh, thought for a moment and he said, uh, values, uh, which I think is a common answer, right? Uh, and Hibbard um, thought for a moment and he said, value relationships, value relativity. Mm. Um no matter how you look at it, it's it's uh, values and light. If you ask a lot of painters, what are you painting? Some of them will profoundly say, I'm painting light, you know? And yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah. it's values. It's uh, it's values that creates the light, this light, dark, midtones. Mm. Um, so um, for me, as a student observing Donald, the way he begins a painting, and I describe it him as using a small paintbrush and he just starts scribbling, Amazing. but he's not using a full palette at the beginning. He's actually using what's close uh-huh. to a monochrome or okay. a grisaille underpainting, but it's it's a little bit more. A grisaille underpainting assumes that you're using a monochrome, one color plus white or the white of the canvas. Donald actually uses two colors to start his paintings. Mm. And this is at the heart of him seeing in values. He's working out the composition in values and darks and lights. So he does that without... 
without a full palette of color in the beginning. And I think, and this is me, uh, you know, um, surmising as a student, that as soon as you introduce color, it introduces so many more complex things yeah. when you're trying to sort of yeah. crack the code to figuring okay. out a, a, a particular motif. So by working in values, um, I think you can control the painting a little bit more from the beginning, or you, you, you're, in a, you're in a different position of control. Mm. So he starts with a value, uh, a value underpainting, and he uses uh, two colors. He uses um, ultramarine blue deep and burnt umber. Mm. So <clears throat> um, what makes this, for me, a better idea than, than just using a, um, a monochromatic underpainting is the fact that he's, he's certainly thinking about values, but by using the ultramarine blue deep and the burnt umber, he's using different temperatures as well. So he's working with values, but he's, he's already making the big ideas about his temperature color as well in the beginning without fully committing. In other words, oh. he's arranging his dark, light, and mid-tones, but he's also arranging his warms and his cools. Okay, so right? he's not mixing them. He's not mixing them. I well, see. I mean, he'll mix them on the canvas and he may... Okay. No, I'm so sorry. No, okay. the answer is yes. He may mix them. He may use them okay. transparently. But he's uh, he uses a little liquid and a little uh, ultramarine blue deep. Mm. Uh, he uses Rembrandt colors, I know, because I made his, uh, his mm. supply list on his website. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I've studied with him. Um, burnt umber is a brown, but it's, 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 it's a derivative of orange. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's an orange brown. And orange is the opposite of blue. So by using these opposites, he has the uh, he has the vibration that you get okay. when you when you sort of mix and interchange warm and cools. So it's a brilliant way. And it, you know, uh, yeah. I've never seen anybody do that before. And and again, I'm, I'm not uh, claiming for Donald that he's the first one to do it. I have no idea, but yeah. it was the first time I had seen it. Yeah. And to me, it's brilliant. Um, and so um, he establishes uh, his warms, cools, lights, darks, midtones. By just scribbling, mm, uh, yeah, yeah, it's blue and awesome blue and yeah, it, it is. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Um, okay, number three, third takeaway is drawing, <laughs> and um, from from the very beginning, you know, Donald spent more than thirty years in the field. He um, a lot of that time was with a sketchbook okay. and a pencil, yeah. and he has filled. <laughs> Maybe, you know, dozens and dozens of these sketchbooks. I've seen them in the studios. Yeah. He's as much a draftsman, a drawer, a sketcher as he is a painter. You know, I wonder if he if he thinks uh, and dreams with a pencil or if he dreams and thinks with a paintbrush. Probably both. <laughs> but at his heart, he is really a draftsman, I think. Yeah. Um, that's not to take away from his painting. His paintings are what drew me to him. His paintings, I think, will... Are, are you know his, his his life's greatest work you know yeah um but um let me share another michelangelo quote because okay. I, I love this one Let's uh, do it. michelangelo's last words his dying words really oh boy he said to his studio assistant antonio draw antonio draw <laughs> michelangelo's last words if that doesn't exemplify the importance wow. of drawing right um well someone listened to you that's good to know. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, Donald was, uh, maybe Donald was in the studio too. Yeah, never know. <laughs> <laughs> was passing. Um, so um, here's what Donald said about drawing. And I, I love this as well. Drawing is the bedrock of all great art. Michelangelo is 
He just perked up in his grave somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By drawing, I don't just mean straight lines. I don't necessarily mean just pencils or charcoal or silver point. Drawing is conceptual. In painting, it means translating a three-dimensional world onto a two-dimensional support in such a way as to make it appear to be three-dimensional. This is a very complex mental exercise, no doubt, right? In the more usual sense, drawing is the way by which we learn form. I have filled many a sketchbook with drawings done in the field. These drawings are of great use and remain ready to be of help, even years in the future. But, and I love this part, more important, in drawing, you learn the forms. The time taken imprints them on your brain. And that's how he makes them up. He's imprinted yeah. all these forms on his brain over the course of 30 or 40 years. It's amazing. Wow. And so if you want to make things Draw. up, and we'll get to this next, <laughs> making them up is number four. Wow. <laughs> that's a good segue. Um yeah, you've got to you've got to draw or take ownership of it, you know. Yeah. And whether you're drawing with a paintbrush or a pencil, um, Donald Journey has certainly taught us that if you aim to make it up or if you aim to uh, improve your skill as a draftsman, you have to take ownership of that skill set by actually putting in your stick time, as they say, yeah. or going out on the field, drawing from life or, or whatever it is, still life or landscape, whatever your muse is. And that is one of the great lessons, you know? Right. You know, as it relates to drawing, Donald also, um, it's, it's hard to talk about drawing without referencing edges, you know? Edges are, um, I'll, I'll use his words here. Um, I've been heard to say it's all about the edges and he's not the first person to say that as well, yeah. you know? In fact, edges are a subset of drawing. They tell us about things we can see, and they allow us to infer things about those we cannot see. Mm. Um, and that's an important component to his work because there's a, um, in my view, there's, there's this uh, sometimes mysterious quality in his work. Donald's work to me is uh, at times tonalist, at times impressionist, you know. Yeah. Um, but when he's he's being a tonalist or... or um, or he's creating a passage in his painting where there's, say, a lost and found edge. Mm. Uh, he, he's playing with our brains. Donald's having fun with our brains. Mysterious. Yeah. So, you know, in art school, they taught us there are three types of edges. There's hard edges, um, which arrest the eye. They stop the eye. Um, you know, that would, uh, hard edges would be an ideal uh, tool to use if you want to um, bring the viewer's eye to the focal point, for example. Uh, then there are soft edges um, where the viewer's eye is more likely to pass over that. Uh, uh, soft edges are used to direct the viewer, sort of like a mouse through a, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> a mousetrap. Mm. Um, and, but these lost and found edges are these, uh, these ambiguous things where you're not sure where the cloud begins and the sky ends, yeah. right? And Donald uses these in some of his paintings um, with great skill. And what, he, what he's doing with us, he's, he's very much playing with our brains. A lost <laughs> and found edge acts in the same way that a dramatic pause in a song or a dramatic pause in a poem might work. Your brain attempts to fill in that dramatic pause. And in doing so, you involve the viewer in such a way that you wouldn't otherwise, you know? The viewer is literally filling in that blank. Mm. Uh, and, and to me, that's kind of a profound way of making paintings. That's like, you know, well, you're not just making pretty pictures here. You're trying to, uh, you're screwing with my head, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I love that. And Donald is a poet first. Yeah. And, and this is this is one of the many tools in his extensive toolbox to express his poetry. Wow. It's, I find it profound. Amazing. Drawing. That brings us to number four. Wow. And that is making it up, you know? Okay. Um, <laughs> so I talked a little bit about uh, Donald, how he makes it up. And, of course, how his 30 or 40 years in the field of drawing from life have informed his ability 
in his memory to to make it up you know this is what he says about making up paintings and how you get there uh, this is uh, suggestions on how to pass it on to students and it's not great news <laughs> because it means uh -oh. <laughs> get your ass outside and start oh, no. start working um, okay how should students get there many of my paintings are from imagination this will seem less strange if you realize that my real goal is the consistent and truthful exposition of light and, through light, the exploration of both mood and emotion. I'm much less concerned with the topography of a particular place. That's for others to explore. I want the viewer to have a visceral, not an intellectual reaction. As for how interested students can get to painting from imagination or memory, it's quite simple and very hard, of course, right? There's no easy roads. Come on. Let us have it. <laughs> what is this? Find something about which you care deeply. Discover the best method of conveying this to your viewer and lose your reference photos. Lose mm. your reference photos is the key there. Ouch. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. could you possibly begin to work on your memory if yeah. you're still relying on your photos? Yeah. So maybe it's an exercise and maybe you start slow. I know um, one of his exercises, um, He'll allow the students to use a motif, a landscape motif, for example, and he'll say, now I want you without reference to paint this particular motif in all four seasons, you know, put some snow on the ground, maybe some dead leaves and okay. et cetera. And that's a, that's a beginning. It's a gateway, yeah. you know? Yeah. But at the end of the day, there's wow. no way around it. You've got to put in 30 years of drawing yeah. <laughs> or whatever, however oh. long it takes to build your memory oh. in such a way that you can... You can recall, you know, what different yeah. moods and different seasons and different times of day look like, you know? Anyway, I love that. That's awesome. The guy makes it up. No, I swear. I can't tell you how many times I've, <laughs> at, at the gallery I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a, a, a patron about Donald's work. No, he makes them up. I swear to God. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure? That looks just like... <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, okay. they think it's a place, a particular place. They it is. It is a place, but that place is in Donald's head. Yeah. You know, and he's oh, trying to convey to the viewer. He's hoping that they'll feel uh, that emotion, that mood that he's trying to convey. Okay, moving right yeah. along. Um, the last one is uh, was really an answer to the question that I love to ask um, painters whose work, whose work I admire. Even even if I don't like their work, I like to ask them this question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, what's the most important thing about painting? Uh, and this little project was fun for me because I felt like I actually got to know Donald a little better through the, through the answer of this particular question. Mm -hmm. And to Donald, it, it really is um, what you have to say. What do you have to say as a painter? Mm -hmm. So academic prerequisite aside, mm -hmm. in other words, once you learn all the techniques and you can make pictures, uh, it's not good enough there. Yeah. You know, you're not making art. You're making really um, technically proficient images. Mm -hmm. um, what interests Donald is being able to convey a mood or a feeling in his paintings. Um, you know, his, his visual poetry. Mm. And Donald is a poet. You know, he is. He, he, as much as he talks about art, he is one of these guys who will quote his favorite poets, you know, mm. Frost or any number of, uh, any number of poets. Mm. Um, here's what he had to say about the single most important thing. I often remind students that almost no matter how well they learn their craft and improve their skills, there will always be someone who is more skilled and a greater perfectionist. Mm -hmm. But this is not important. What is important is what they have to say from their own unique perspective. Invariably, this is what separates the greats from the also-rans, a unique personal story to tell. Love it, Barbara. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, 
you know, what, what, what do you have to say? It's a good question for you. It's a yeah. good question for me. It's a good question for anybody right. who's trying to figure out how to crack the codes to good painting. And many of us, look, we're just still trying to figure out how to, how to make our values look right. Oh, you know, how do I make that value? <laughs> the darks look like darks and how do I keep the lights in the light areas? I understand that. Yeah. Um, but, but eventually we're either going to have something to say or not, you know? Right. And, uh, and, and the sad thing is there, there are a lot of very good technicians out there who simply don't have anything to say yet. And uh, really? maybe, maybe that's about just living. You've got to live your life, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe it's better said that sometimes the technical part gets in the way. Uh, if you that think makes it's holding sense. back their ability to? I, I think so. And I, 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 I can understand this very personally. Like, um, I, I understand, like, trying to make a living as an artist uh, for many includes making Im- images where you're, you know, if you have to pay your mortgage mm. or you, um, I won't say who the painter is, but I remember I was at a workshop with a, a very popular yeah. painter, a nationally known uh, instructor and, and artist. And, and uh, someone asked this particular artist, hey, you know, what inspires you? And his answer was, and he thought for a moment, and he goes, my mortgage payment. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it's one of the realities. Yeah, if you're making a living, sure. uh, you eventually cross the road where, am I making this image for mm. the marketplace or am I making it for me? I think only when you're making paintings for yourself that you can begin to really get into the poetry, you know? I think. I'm, I'm not pretending to have the answers. Yeah. This is me trying to figure it out myself, you know? But I think, um, like, I think when I'm personally playing air painting, it's a little different than if I'm making a studio painting in response to a gallery who says, hey, we sold a few of those. Uh-huh. Can you make us a few more of those? It is, a di- I feel differently sure. when I'm making the painting. And I think in some ways when I'm, maybe outdoors playing or painting without the idea of making a painting for a finished gallery. Like if I'm painting just to learn something um, or mm-hmm. just, just for the, the sheer joy of being with my tools out painting, I feel only then I'm getting closer to, yeah. to like expressing myself. You know what I mean? So and this, this is only my humble limited experience telling mm-hmm. you here now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like I have cracked the codes, but I think Donald's sharing with us this idea that, you know, um, having something to say, is much more important than just, you know, beautiful, technical, shiny, beautiful paintings. Mm. Um, you know, I, I asked Donald, so, you know, what, what are you painting? What, what, what's going on here? You know, what is this? And I thought the answer would, would, would uh, help reveal to me and get me as a student one step closer to understanding that premise and understand who am I as a painter. And I think you should be asking the question yourself. Mm. Um, and I love this. And, and uh, being the poet that he is, he shared this quote with me. And this is by um, Albert Camus, C-A-M-U-S. I might be pronouncing it wrong, but that wouldn't be the first time. I'm sure <laughs> Donald will correct me. <laughs> and uh, the quote is this. A man's work is nothing but this slow trek to rediscover through the detours of art, those two or three great and simple images in whose presence his heart first opened. Mm. <sighs> wow. I love that. It's pretty good stuff. That is good. Um, yeah. I've heard this expressed another way. And I, I sometimes talk about this uh-huh. to students be using much more clumsy uh, words and articulation. But it essentially means this. When you're a young, influential person and perhaps you see something that uh, evokes uh, a deep emotive feeling in you, whether that's love or some other feeling, um, we spend the rest of our art careers or our art pursuit swimming upstream like salmon, sort mm. of chasing that first chasing, influential yes. thing, right? Yeah. And so that's what he's saying there. And I thought this was really sweet. Donald mm. finished with sharing something that that was um, that I think uh, 
brings this all full circle. Mm -hmm. What informs his poetry? And, and, um, and he shared this story. And I'm going to read it because I don't want to yeah. butcher his words again. On summer, and this is directly from Donald. And um, this is him being very vulnerable and, and, and sort of opening up, you know, and, and letting you know what's inside his heart. Because what's inside his heart is ultimately yeah. when he's at his best, it winds up on the canvas, you know, this whole mood and poetic thing. And I think it's lovely. And Donald writes, on summer nights when I was very little, and the evening air was heavy with heat and great humidity, my parents, hoping to get my sister and I cooler and off to sleep, would bundle us into the back seat of the family convertible and would go for a drive through the dark night air. My sister and I, flat on our backs, would be cooled by the moving air, and we stared up at the sky as we drove along through the summer night. What has stayed with me all these years is my view of the trees passing by overhead. Sky and trees and then sky and trees, until little by little, I would grow drowsy and fall to sleep. After some time, would return home and I'd be carried up, uh, still asleep and put to bed. I, I think I, that's just, to me, is um, I think we can, we can all sort of relate to, 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 to some experience or some sort of visual thing in our life that can evoke a memory like that, you know? And this is how I broke that down because... Um, because I, I, I understood so much more when he explained this little story to me. A young Donald's in the back seat of his car with his parents, right, in the hot summer night. And to get relief from the hot air, his parents puts him in the car and they, they cool him off. That's just like this loving little thing, this yeah. loving little gesture, you know. Yeah. It's a simple, simple little thing. But the family is together, right? He's contented. He's loved. He's adored. Mm. Um when he told me the story, I found myself going, oh my God, I understand Donald so much more. I can understand that. You yeah. know, we've all had similar experiences, but it's that, it's that visual cue of seeing the trees. Like I can see that in my mind's mm -hmm. eye. I can, I can see myself lying on the back of that, uh, you know, the back of the car, looking up, seeing the trees and the sky zip by, you know, yeah. we all have that thing that evokes a memory. Uh, um, and what Donald is doing is he, he's, He's reaching in and, and, he, and the poetry of that, you know, that mood, that feeling, that warmth is sometimes portrayed on the canvas. That's, that's my takeaway. Yeah. You know, you might yeah. be sitting in a studio listening to this going, what? You, you missed the whole thing. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I think <laughs> but, you got um, it. I, mean, I think so. I think that's the takeaway. Yeah. I found my, <laughs> this is funny. So when he told me this, I was like, oh my God. It's like I discovered something new, you know, and it was a wonderful <laughs> feeling and I was really excited about it. And um, did you yeah. see the movie Citizen Kane? Um, it, it's, uh, yeah. it's been called the greatest film of all time. You know, yeah. it's a 1941 film by Orson Welles. And I remember seeing it as a, as a, as a young boy and just like rolling my eyes, passing it off. And I was, <laughs> I was more interested in Star Wars or Rocky, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then when I was older, um, uh, the Boston Globe had one of these goofy articles, you know, the top films of all time, Citizen Kane. And mm -hmm. I, so I, I revisited it with a more mature sensibility uh -huh. and, um, not that much mature, trust yeah, me, okay. but, um, <laughs> Yeah, so, so Citizen Kane is—it's it, it, essentially like it's—it's a—it's uh, a cinematic um, analogy. It's—it's it's the same thing Donald's saying right now. Mm. So in Citizen Kane, it's the—it's uh, the story of a man who um, he sought love from the world, but ended up pushing everybody away, and um, 
he created this enormous empire. He falls in love. He almost becomes president. In the uh, final scene of the movie, he um, it's the end of his life, and he he's holding this glass ball, and he he drops the ball, and his last final words are, "Rosebud." You know, it's it's famous in the, <laughs> in the uh, for uh, movie buffs. You know, yeah. it's one of the most famous lines in in all of uh, cinematic history. And the premise there is Rosebud. And it flashes back to the scene where Cain was a small boy. And these are his final words on his deathbed. So his final words sort of summarize uh, the only thing that really matters to him. Right. You know? And the only thing that really matters to him is this flashback. And it goes back to him when he was a child and he's sledding. And, and the name on the sled is Rosebud. But he's in the comfort mm. of his parents sledding. And it's this goofy, profound thing that you've, <laughs> you've journeyed through this entire movie. Uh, to discover this. And there's this mm. odd relatability that you can get um, when you discover that the most important thing to him was yeah. the comfort of the love of his family. Chased um, it all his life. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not saying all your paintings have to be about yeah, yeah. the comfort and love, but it, for all of us, it's something else, you yeah. know? Um, but I, I found this to be incredibly profound, the, mm-hmm. the poet inside of us. So there you have it. Um, I it. Yeah, yeah, I love it too. I do. Um so in conclusion, um, yes. I want to plug a workshop that Donald has yes. uh, coming up. Well, it's not coming up. It's almost a year away. Oh. It's, uh, but <laughs> it's still um, he's doing an Italy workshop. He'll be teaching a um, five-day, six-night plein air painting workshop in Tuscany Ooh. in October. Nice. Um, it's October wow. 20th to the 25th, 2019. For the first time, we'll be working together. I'll be his monitor, so it'll be great fun. To, um, yeah, I haven't. I, I did a workshop with him in Vermont in um, Maudsley Park in Massachusetts once. It was so fun, and I uh, I think we just both got busy for a couple of years, and I missed that just kind of being a goofball with him <laughs> and being behind the scenes again, watching yeah. him work and paint and communicate and articulate with students. Um, so there you have it. For information on that, you can go to Donald's website at www.donaldjourney.com or you can go to our school website, ogunkwitartcolony.com and you can get details. So just reach out to me to get more information. But but there you have it. Five things from the great Donald Journey. Hope you enjoy it. Very nice. So thank you for doing this. Yeah, thanks Uh, thanks for uh, for, uh, tolerating my nonsense. Teaching and being able to put all that in a little uh, cliff notes for us. That's that's, that's really nice awesome. of you to say, but awesome. it's not about me. This is about <laughs> Donald Journey. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> but thank you. You're sweet. Thank yeah. you. It's the opportunity. I love yeah. what you're doing. Honestly, Great. this is terrific. Okay. Well, we'll catch you all next time. I thank that, you, my friends. If you found inspiration from today's show, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and share it with a friend or two on social media. Also, take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes or share your takeaways from today's show on artistsofnewengland.com under today's episode. And while you're there, you'll find links to the topics mentioned in today's show. And don't forget to peruse the growing library of podcasts and resources. Thanks for listening. you got beauty to share with the world that no other human has. So get in the ring and pick up that brush.